Welcome to the Witches and Wine audio experience. PGM, the Greek Magical Papyri. This collection of papyri were the working notes of Greco-Roman Egyptian magicians from 2,000 years ago. It was translated into English and published in the 20th century. Today, the PGM is of great interest to magicians working with spirits, but a huge swath of modern witches have either never heard of it or passed over it. It has the reputation of being too traditional, too dry, too orthodox. I mean, I think a better title for the PGM would be Outlaw Magic. Meet Jack Real. He's the author of the sold-out grimoire, The Hecatean, and an instructor of sorcery classes at the Blackthorn School. His latest class, PGM Praxis, 50 Rites for 50 Nights, is starting now and will run for the rest of the year. Traditional magic, the phrase is sort of a turnoff. It's like saying, do you want to come to my traditional church service? Well, you know, most people, my Christians say, no thanks. But traditional magic is quite different because traditional magic honors the liminal person, the threshold person, the marginal person. And the most valuable skill they have is to be themselves and to be willing to form a relationship with something that can be elusive. The PGM is filled with practical spells that address the everyday concerns of everyday people. And yes, there are love spells too. You wait till you know you're gonna see them. And when you come into their presence, you look them in the eyes. And when you look at them, in your mind, you say the word seven times to yourself. And the idea behind the whole spell is that that one word is the true and secret name of Aphrodite or Venus, the goddess of love. Get instant access to the complete 90-minute conversation and the secret name of Aphrodite by becoming a member at patreon.com slash witchesandwine. Oh, and by the way, there is one scholarship that Jack and the Blackthorn School are giving away. More details will be at the end of the video, so make sure that you watch for that. Hello everybody, Chowan here. Today I am with Jack Grail. On my Facebook page written that anything that Jack puts out, anything he teaches, I will be there. So Jack, thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you for joining me and I appreciate the lead in. I've noticed that there's definitely been a trend to go back into the traditions of magic. There's actually a really big pushback against the sort of like, do whatever feels right to you. What are the benefits of doing things a traditional way? Here's what I discovered, because I was the same way. And there's nothing wrong with going with your intuition. You know, a person's intuition is the best tool they have to tell them when they're on the right path. But there's a way it go, can go too far, I think. Sometimes it got to be all about the feels. You know, well, does it feel magic-y? It feels magical at first, but then gradually it feels less and less magical and that doesn't necessarily mean it's not real it just means you're entering into a new phase and so that's what made me hungry to try to say are there any principles 
that are that go back a thousand years, two thousand years that people for generations practiced to make sure I'm not just making it up off the top of my head, you know, or doing whatever feels good that day and then discarding it and afterwards feeling like I'm just sort of messing around. There seems to be like two camps in magic. One that's like all about the technique, the rigorousness of the technique, and the other camp that's a little bit more intuition based. A lot of people are going to be thinking, well, why should I try this technique stuff? It sounds very patriarchal. It sounds very much like structure and I'm like feminine and flowy. So why should I read some sort of manual that was written thousands of years ago, probably by a dude, and do it that way? Here's what I think the answer is. I think there are two systems of magic. I think one is what people think of when they think of energetic which is such an amorphous term, we kind of know what it means inside intuitively, but it's really hard to put into words. And the other one I think of as the spirit model. The spirit model doesn't have anything to do with the feels, really. The spirit model takes the idea that there might be an actual spirit, and whether that spirit is outside of our skin or within it, but that we're reaching out with some words we're saying, the things we're doing, and trying to connect with the spirit to form a relationship to make something happen that might not otherwise happen. It's relational, it's reciprocal, which is what's crazy because of all the people in the world who are good at relationships, it's usually young contemporary women <laughs> navigating social media, navigating changing rules, you know, every week, every month, navigating a world where you never know what to expect and you're expected to be different people if you're on your, your parents, your coworkers, young guys, older guys, you know, things like that. There's a whole different set of rules regarding, you know, gender and relationships. And they're technically very good at navigating relationships, which is why I think, you know, younger, younger people, younger women, trans people, you know, younger guys, actually, if they tried it, would really enjoy spirit magic because it's all about forming a relationship, which is an intuitive process. And they're already good at it. That sounds so exciting. I think a lot of people, they feel intimidated by traditional magic techniques because it's oftentimes older people who are gatekeeping. I like the way that you're framing it as actually, forget about the technique stuff. It's about the relationship between the spirits. So it's scary to try a new system. And when the new system, like you said, has a gatekeeper, who's an older person or a person who, if authority, someone who looks like their dad or their boss or the police chief or whatever, what they're expecting is when they try something to be told immediately, uh, you picked the wrong day, the wrong hour, you're not dressed right, where are your tools, where's your goat-handled knife, you know, where's your, where's your consecrated chalk, you know, that's salt, not natron, you know, be given a bunch of, of feedback and they immediately think, it's not for me, I need something looser, uh, something where someone's not judging me and making me feel stupid. But that's the shame of it, because in reality, the idea behind relational magic, spirit reciprocal magic, is that everything has a spirit, and you can form a relationship with it. And it makes sense, because, you know, I, I have a spirit in me. You have a spirit in you. The dogs, the cats we keep, the birds, they have spirits in them. No one who keeps a pet or has a friend or has a parent would doubt that. So it's not that much of a step beyond that to say there's other things that have spirits too. The spirit, you know, 
of magic, the ability to affect change in your life that you can't otherwise connect with, has a spirit. There's a spirit to the trees, to the valley, you know, to the thunderstorm. There's a spirit to a destructive relationship, and there's a spirit to a healthy one. And if you could form a relationship with that spirit, then your life can be improved, and you can feel empowered. To form a relationship with the spirit, we already know how to do it. It's the same way people form a relationship. If I want to form a relationship with you, what do we do? We spend time together. There has to be connectedness. There has to be a willingness to reach out, a willingness to fail to some degree, and a persistence. You know how it is. If you meet someone at the party and you like them, you send them one text afterwards, hey, let's have lunch sometime. If they don't respond, you might have to reach out a second time before you give up. You might have to swallow your pride and actually say, hey, do you want to get together for coffee? And that persistence is the same thing that's needed in this type of work. And it's far more important than whether the candle is black or whether the, the natron is in a brass bowl or whether the incense is myrrh or frankincense. That willingness to enter into relationship and have a reciprocal give and take between the powers that control our lives, that's the most essential thing. And that's what most young people have. So a lot of young people, especially people who occupy more liminal spaces in society, trans people, women, people of color, people who need to navigate many different identities in society, they're really good at this. And oftentimes they're the ones who feel as though these traditional kind of like older white dude dominated techniques, like they're just like, oh, not for me. But as you've mentioned, they'd be so great at it. It's so true. If you look at a lot of what you might consider gatekeepers or people who are teachers and stuff like that nowadays or of contemporary magic, a lot of them look like me, right? Older, white, male. I mean, it's just a fact. When you look at traditional magic, it's often the liminal people who are the most involved. You have uh, in, in a folk magic in the Balkans, Georgi Meshev in his book, uh, Thrace and Magic, says that postmenopausal women, magic is their purview. In ancient Egyptian magic, the scryer, the person who would actually see the vision of the spirit, wasn't uh, the full-grown adult priest. It was a young prepubescent child. Uh, before, you know, prepubescent kids were deemed back then to be androgynous. They hadn't developed sexual characteristics yet. They were in the between. And that's the irony, is a lot of times the books are written, the classes are taught, you know, the, 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 you know, the initiations and the orders are run by people who look like me, but I'm actually the least suited to it. You know, I find these, these waters difficult to swim in, and I'm continually outstripped by people who are younger than me, look different than me, more marginal, more liminal, people who live at the thresholds of life and have a fresh perspective. So it's very true that traditional magic, the phrase is sort of a turnoff. It's like saying, do you want to come to my traditional church service? Well, you know, most people, my Christians say, no thanks. But traditional magic is quite different because traditional magic honors the liminal person, the threshold person, the marginal person, and the most valuable skill they have is to be themselves and to be willing to form a relationship with something that can be elusive. I'm so excited that you're going to teach this other class about this very traditional book, this very <laughs> traditional, like when I think of the word PGM, and for those of you who have never heard of the PGM, the PGM is actually, I think, Papyri Greek Magicae, right? It's like in Latin or something, but then 
in English, it's the Greek magic papyri. Correct. Whenever I see the word PGM, my I'm just like, well, what? Because people, <laughs> they're putting in like Roman numerals to say PGM section. This it feels very biblical, like Matthew twenty three six. Like, what is the PGM? Well, you're 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 right. The PGM stands for the Greek magical papyri. And you're right, the, the words, the letters PGM, most people, it hits their ear like IRS, you know, FBI, <laughs> something like that. You hear it and you're like, I, I want nothing to do with that. There's very few, you know, things that have an acronym that, you know, that, that bring anything good into your life. And, and it's true that the PGM, because it's, the PGMs, it comes from the third or fourth century AD. So it's about 1600, 1700 years old. Some of the spells are older than that. And so the, the initials, the oldness of it, and the fact that if you flip it open, it can be kind of a bewildering thing. It's created this sort of intimidation factor where a lot of people, if you bring it up, say, oh, well, I've heard, I've heard a lot of the spells are incomplete. I heard a lot of the ingredients you can't come by. I hear some of the things you have to do, you, you can't do nowadays. So it, it doesn't sound like it's anything for me. It sounds like an old book full of undoable spells. And who needs that? But the fact is, the PGM is the working notes of a sorcerer who was active almost 2,000 years ago. Just one magician? Well, we don't actually know that. I mean, they, all we know is these spells turned up a few hundred years ago being sold in Paris. And after looking at them and analyzing, experts said, these are what they seem to be. They're not forgeries. They come from North Africa about, you know, almost 2,000 years ago. Many of them are written in the same hand. So perhaps the same, either the same magician wrote them or the same scribe transcribed them. It's very rare to get the working notes of a magician. And that's what the PGM is. So just from the outset, it's fascinating and kind of unique because it shows if you took a time machine back almost 2000 years ago and went to visit a sorcerer and when he stepped away, opened his chest and started rifling through his papers there, it's what you would have found him working from. For every spell that is incomplete, there's about five that are complete. For every spell that has an ingredient, you're like, where am I supposed to get that? There's a half dozen that have ingredients that are absolutely easy to get. And for every spell that has something that we can't do anymore, like, you know, drown a falcon, there's a dozen spells that don't involve falcon drowning. So, there's plenty of things in the PGM that are doable today. Okay, this is almost 2,000 years old. Why would it work in modern days? What's weird is, in some ways, the world of Roman Egypt 1,700 years ago, in some ways, was similar to our world now than the 1950s in America were. I mean, they lived in a world where they had lost faith in their rulers. You had these brutal thugs like Caracalla, or uh, Galabalus, people who were looting the, uh, you know, looting the government for whatever they could take. You had a series of foreign wars that seemed endless, that made people anxious. You had tides of immigration pouring into the Roman Empire that seemed uncontrollable and were creating a great amount of, uh, of concern and anxiety. You had uh, financial problems. The treasury was perpetually broke because the money was being used to bribe all these invading hordes to fight the Huns, and sometimes the Huns to fight the invading hordes. You also had a change in cultures. You had upheaval. 
um, you had the, uh, the gladiatorial games being canceled. There were bans on nudity, bans on prostitution, bans on homosexuality. And they had this sort of cultural change with everything getting more conservative, in some ways more dangerous. And it had created a great sense of uh, identity crisis, in some ways spiritual crisis back then. And that was the world these spells came out of. And because it was very multicultural, because remember, Egypt was in Africa, right? So, and Egypt is sort of a nexus of African culture and European culture, Mediterranean culture, Near Eastern culture. You had all kinds of soldiers, merchants, sailors, pilgrims passing through it. So what's fascinating is just like our culture nowadays in the United States is very multicultural and getting more so, the spells in the PGM are extremely multicultural. You might have a single spell that calls upon uh, a spirit of the Nile, of the African you know, gods, as well as a spirit from the Near East, as well as a spirit from Greece, as well as a Christian angel in one spell. Like it was syncretic, it was conflationary. It doesn't impose a stricture on you. It's like having all these palettes uh, for a painter that they can pick which paint suits them best. And it's important to note too that the PGM wasn't magic written for kings and aristocrats and important people. It was magic for people who lived at the margins of society. The spells in the PGM are for people whose shop is failing, whose master is angry at them, who are gonna get sentenced by the judge the next day, who love someone who doesn't love them, who's trapped in a relationship that they can't get out of, who's broke or who desperately wants to hear and see a spirit and never has before. All these people are clearly people who live at the edges of society. They're for servants, they're for slaves, they're for housewives, they're for men with failing businesses, they're for men and women who are looking for meaning in their life and don't have massive wealth you know, to travel the world or retire or something like that. So it's actually, although PGM sounds intimidating and traditional magic sounds off-putting, it really is, what it should be called is multicultural magic for people who live at the margins to form relationship with spirits that will empower them. That's what it's about. And that's honestly what it should be called. Oh my God. Chills, chills. <laughs> I love that. Now that the narrative in my mind has shifted from, you know, this thing that's quoted like the Bible and so technical. Mm. Now it's just like, okay, actually the, you know, it's similar to Shakespeare. I remember um, I used to hate Shakespeare, right? I hated oh. it in high school. And then I learned later that Shakespeare back then, he was kind of like the Andrew Lloyd Webber. He was creating <laughs> plays for the masses. He was creating plays that he hoped that everybody would see it. It wasn't just for the educated. It wasn't just for the, you know, the literati. It was for everybody. When people put on Shakespeare right now and they make it so rarefied and people get turned off by it or the way that it's taught in school that it's like so highfalutin, that's not the actual intention that Shakespeare had. And so for me then, the sorcerers, the people who are writing the PGM, they are sort of like the friend. They're the last resort. They are the people there who are going to help those who really don't have anywhere else to turn. You're a hundred percent right. That's exactly what it is. And the thing about it, what I liked what you said about it, that sense of last resort is very much the vibe of what sorcery was for back then. Because keep in mind, back then it was illegal. Sometimes people think, oh, back in the days of yore, when everyone was allowed to dance around, you know, topless and do magic all day long, 
that was not the case. For doing the type of magic in the PGM, you could be burned alive or crucified in Northern Africa. It was risky. It was really risky. So to take that risk, think how desperate you would have to be. So it very much is a magic of last resort. But what's exciting is when you choose to do it, the model of it is very empowering. Connections is most common between equals. If two people are equal, there's a better chance of them being, you know, making a meaningful connection than, than if one is much higher or much lower than the other. And the same thing was thought for spirits. If you're going to reach out for a deity, then find that within you that is the deity itself. Let the God speak to the God. And those two equals will converse and you'll make a friend of the God, of the spirit, of the power that you're reaching out to. So one of the things that I've noticed about more traditional magic, and one of the things that kind of puts off a lot of people is that it seems very structured. It's about this certain sort of uh, method. There's a step one, step two. Here's the thing to keep in mind, because whenever we talk about techniques or technologies, it can sound intimidating, like, oh God, well, it would take years to learn how to be a black belt in karate. I don't have that kind of time to invest in a 2000 year old technique, right? But what they really should be called is hacks, because that's what they are. The techniques are actually hacks. They're a way to short circuit the system to connect with the spirit. Because in this style of magic, the spirit does all the heavy lifting. The spirit does the work. You're bringing up a really important point right now. A lot of modern magic is very much me-based. Like, I am God. I am the most powerful thing. So right. it's, it's sort of like that law of attraction model. So based upon how I light the candle, how I scribble on the face of that photo of Trump, you know, because I am God, I affect what goes on like afterwards. Versus it sounds like traditional magic was like, yeah, there's these spirits that could probably help a lot better than just me. It's a great relief, this type of magic, because you don't have to believe that you are magical, because you're not, you're not doing the work. All you have to believe is you're good at relationships. You can maintain a relationship. And if you can do that, it's out of your hand. Back in those days, belief and faith wasn't an important virtue in a way. That's a Christian virtue. If you believe you know, the, the, the Christian story, then you are saved. But they didn't have a similar requirement back then. There wasn't like a belief test, right? When you you were expected to express not, not faith, but what they called piety. But what piety meant was not being, you know, you know, being pious, really. It was simply observing the requirements of a relationship. Like there would be a day when the god Zeus or Jupiter was going to be honored. They required you to go on that day, make an offering. Whether you believed in Zeus, it didn't really matter. You would express piety. You showed up, you repeated a you know, a, a hymn, perhaps a few words, you burned some incense, and you could leave there thinking, I don't know if I believe in Zeus or Jupiter, but I've shown, I've followed the instructions, I've done the hacks to be in good with the power that is over families, decisions, governments, rulership. No one at the door says, wait a minute, do you believe in Zeus, your creator, and you confess, you know, an allegiance to Zeus? They wouldn't do that. 
they'd say, you're here. Thank you for coming. You know, here's the incense. You burn it, you leave. You've done your job. You follow the instructions. You call upon the, the powers. You say the words. You are not obligated once the spell is done to say, well, now I believe in ISIS. That's not something that's required according to the, um, to the way the system of magic works. A lot of young creative people who love magic, who love sort of like pretty crystals and things like that, they're like, oh, traditional magic, it just sounds really boring. It sounds like it's just follow these instructions and there's no creativity. Why should I follow somebody else's instructions? No one likes to be told what to do, right? No one likes to be told what to do. And no one likes to be told if you don't do it exactly like this, you're doing it wrong. And there's this sort of sense that you get with ceremonial magic or traditional magic that if you get even the smallest bit wrong, the whole thing doesn't work and you failed. I mean, in my experience, it's not the case at all. If you look at this system of magic, there's seven or eight techniques or hacks that you use. And then what you come to realize is, I can use those in any combination. I can switch them up and do them in a different way than the source from the PGM. In a way, it's like learning to play three chords on the guitar. Once you learn those three chords, there's, there's thousands of songs you can sing. It's more like painting than it is a connect the dots. And that's what makes it exciting. And yeah, you're right. That's what makes it artistic. That's such a relief to hear because when most people talk about the PGM, it's very dry. It seems really boring. <laughs> it just seems yeah. like something that's so academic and technical. I mean, I think a better title for the PGM would be Outlaw Magic because it is magic by people. Think about it. They could literally be crucified for doing what you know how You know how crazy you have to be to practice a system of magic that could get you nailed to a cross or burned alive, you know? These are outlaws who are performing it for people who are on their, their last gasp, and they're doing it with this crazy sort of mashup where they're combining Christian gods, Egyptian deities, Hellenic powers, and even some diabolical stuff, and they're mixing and matching it all together into this cocktail, this crazy cocktail with a real punch. I want to do outlaw magic. <laughs> right? Who doesn't? In your course, PGM Praxis. So it's 50 weeks, and there's going to be a spell about once a week. That yeah. sounds like a lot of spells. That's <laughs> And yeah, you're definitely going to know by the end of the class, like, if PGM magic, that sort of magic is for you. And you'll probably get some interesting results. No one has to do all 50, right? This isn't like, you know, it's not pre-med. I'm not, there's not going to be tests or exams. It's more like a buffet. It's a smorgasbord. Not, not everything appeals to everyone. So every week there'll be something different. And, uh, you know, if it doesn't interest you, six and a half days later, there'll be something new. There'll be all different kinds of spells. Some are love spells. But love spells in the PGM work very differently than contemporary love spells. And they not, might, might not be for everyone's um, you know, taste. Other spells are spells of separation. You have a sister who's with someone who beats her up. Back then they had the same situation. There were spells to break up a relationship to protect the people involved or make them more available. There's spells of how to make your business work better so that it's, so that it's blessed and it's productive and it, uh, and it gains momentum and it actually is more competitive. There's spells, they call them exorcisms, but it, it's not so much in the Christian model. It's thought of as like purification. You clean out 
yourself of unwanted you know, addictions or habits or obsessions. It's a way to like cleaning a chalkboard. There's spells that are initiations where you say, okay, I want a spirit relationship. How do I meet a spirit? It's like wanting a, you know, romantic relationship. Where do you meet them? You know, do you go to, do you go to Tinder? Do you go to the bar? Do you go to the church? Do you go to the political rally? Where do you, where do you meet people? You know, and spirits are the same way. How do you meet one? And there's some spells that are curses. I should say the PGM is not extremely politically correct. Okay. And, you know, they do have what would be deemed, you know, malevolent magic in there. If someone gets you fired at work, it happened back then, you know, someone would badmouth them, the person would be whipped by their master, and they say, I'm going to get them back. What do you have for me? And there's spells that would be blessings as well, to bring good luck, good fortune, comfort. There's also spells that would be um, something to make a person feel more confident in front of crowds, spells to help you speak well in front of a group, spells to help you um, be confident when going before a judge, spells to win your court case. All these things, many of the things we deal with today, high stress situations, they went through them too. And oftentimes the stakes were a lot higher 2,000 years ago in Roman Egypt. We're going to distinguish in the class what is like a critical piece of the spell and what's extraneous. Because look at it this way. Anything can be improved, right? Think of any ritual you do, personal or magical or whatever. You can always come up with an improvement. Yeah, if you layer on additional items, clothing, symbols, timing, the right hour, the right day, the right place, the right, you know, everything. Yeah, you can improve it. It's like a work of art. The more you layer onto it, the more nuanced or complex it gets. But there's also such a thing as a work of art that's a quick sketch, like a Picasso, two lines, right? It's still beautiful. It can still move you to tears. And magic is like that too. You can still have a hack for people of limited means. You can still have, cut it down to, what's the most critical element here? If nothing else, get this right. And if you wanna do more, it's up to you. And that way you start to get the sense of it. You can use your own judgment and you realize it's not all about spending money. It's more about being willing to take a chance, you know, take a risk, connect with a power and make a difference in your life using what you have at hand or what you kind of manage to get without you know, going broke or, or going into debt or running up the credit card because that, that doesn't help anyone feel more empowered. Right? Well, just as like a preview of what sort of spells that we might be learning in the class, is there a really short, simple spell from the PGM? It's one of the shortest spells in the PGM, and I think I may start with it in the class. But it says it's a, it's a love spell to Aphrodite. All it is is when you're in love with someone and they don't love you, or you want them to notice you, you want them to feel more for you, you wait till you know you're going to see them. And then you, it says you keep yourself pure that day, which means you're so focused, you probably don't eat until you meet them, you don't drink any alcohol, you don't do anything sexually, you're clean, you're on point, you're sharp, everything is ready. And when you come into their presence, you look them in the eyes, and when you look at them, in your mind, you say the word seven times to yourself. You say it in your mind seven times, and that's the whole spell. And the idea behind the whole spell is that that one word is the true and secret name of Aphrodite or Venus, the goddess of love. And the, uh, one of the 
the techniques, the technologies, the hacks in the PGM is to give the person the true name of the power. And what they imply is that everything has a common name, but everything also has a secret name, right? So I go by, I go by Jack Grail. That's a name I write under. It's a name I, I teach under. But if someone were to call me by the name that I was born with, it's on my birth certificate at a busy, crowded party, I would turn to them first. And I'd say, who are you? Who are you that you know my name? And it's the same thing with these powers. The power responds. It has to. You've called its true name. It inhabits you. And when the person looks at you for a brief second, they don't see you. What they see is the power, the god, the goddess of love through your eyes. And they fall for you. I mean, couldn't we just say, just, I don't know, Sophia Loren, Sophia Loren, Sophia Loren. Your question is, it, it, it's a great point. I would say this, if someone said Sophia Loren, Sophia Loren, Sophia Loren, and had made themselves, you know, pure, and called upon that name with sincerity, let's say she's your favorite actress, you think there's no one as, as desirable, you know, as, as Sophia Loren, arguably, that's a contemporization and, and, and an effective one using a traditional system of magic. Because here's the thing, Sophia Loren had a spirit. We know she did. She was a human being. We all have spirits in us. You could argue if you can call upon the spirit of a saint who died 500 years ago, why can't you call upon the spirit of a great artist and performer who is known for you know, her, her power over men and her, her beautiful looks and things like that? Back then, it actually ties in well to this idea of traditional magic because they didn't just believe there were five or six or seven powers you could reach out to. They envisioned a world of, of millions of spirits. Everything had a spirit and you could go where you wanted. If you wanted to just deal with spirits of the dead, you can. If you want to deal with spirits of living people, you can. If you want to deal with spirits of the recently deceased, you can. If you want to go to the spirits of love and war and, you know, and art, you can. If you want to go to angels, you can. You do you. The PGM is like, you do you. They're all spirits. Everything has a spirit. And even if you, even if you say, well, I think I'm an atheist, everything has an aspect. You fall in love with one you know, beach and not the other, one person, not the other, one novel and not the other. You become attached to these things. They have power over you. If I feel better and if I feel closer to that power by engaging with it, honoring it, incorporating it into myself, living it, to some degree, taking on the mask of it, exploring it, celebrating it, some degree becoming it, then I have connected with that power and your life is better for it. What you've just explained right now is, yeah, we're actually bringing in that energy. It could be a living spirit, recently deceased, all different types of spirits. But as long as you know the principle, you can start swapping in whatever feels great to you. And that's where the art comes in. It's going to be, yes, we're going to use a spell almost as like a template. But after you learn the template, then your art, your creativity, your individuality can start to come in. Ideally, you take the template and run with it and do what you want in a way that makes sense and is exciting and fun for you. Oh my God, Jack. And that's the opposite of how so many people approach the PGM <laughs> magic. They don't see it as a template. They see it as gospel. Yeah, yeah. They, they see it as a set of rules that have to be adhered to. And if you fail even one of them, you're 100% a failure. And they're the gatekeepers of what's right and what's wrong. 
and it's it's demonstrably wrong because when you look at all these spells a lot of times there's so many of them that are going for the same thing there's so many love spells there's so many curses and there'll be similar techniques but everyone will be different well if they if you had to do it exactly the same every time why do we have 30 versions of them right it's because it's more art than science but you'll see the same patterns oh they use a true name oh they use some magical words oh they use it. They try to do it at a certain time that you know is is similar to the the power they're calling upon, and that's you're right. If you can't adapt it, if you can't make it yours, then what's the point? It's just reenactionism. It's it's like dressing up as a Union soldier and reenacting the Battle of Gettysburg. That you're never going to have the other side win. It's always got to end the same way. If it's a reenaction, you know, we're not just doing reenactment. It's not LARPing. It's meant to be a living tradition that you're adding to and building upon the principles that are there in your own way. It's not cosplay. <laughs> right, right, right. As fun as cosplay is. I'm thinking about all the people who do sort of remakes, you know, like they're doing their own cover versions. Sometimes the cover versions, they're spectacular. They, they take the original and it's a completely new thing. Right. And isn't that one of the reasons why we enjoy cover versions? It's not because they sing it exactly like Dolly Parton. When exactly. Dad sings Jolene, he doesn't sound like Dolly Parton. He's not doing it exactly like Dolly Parton. I can easily understand how you could easily take my man, but you don't know what he means to me. Jolene. You're 100% right. If he tried to do it just like Dolly Parton, dress like Dolly Parton, it'd be camp. It just wouldn't be Jack White. And I think that's what a lot of people don't realize about magic. We're learning these spells, we're learning the templates, but let's try to do it a little bit more Jack White style and not so much <laughs> cosplay style. So I'm so excited for this class, Jack. I will definitely put the links down below. Thank you so much for talking to me today. I love this conversation. Thank you. I loved it too. I really appreciate it. going to be offering a free scholarship, so if you're interested sometime before March 1st, 2020, post in the comments section below this video why you are interested, what makes you qualified, and what you hope to gain from the class, and then we will be accepting Jawan's recommendation as to who should get the scholarship. So uh, go at it, and I, I hope to make your acquaintance soon. everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Witches and Wine audio experience. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting me on Patreon. You can choose between a few membership tiers. They're super affordable and flexible. Your membership helps me continue making videos, podcasts, articles, lots of different things about all the sweet witchy stuff. Links are in the show notes. Also, don't forget to go on iTunes and give this a five-star rating. Each five-star rating helps rank this podcast higher in searches so that as many witches can find and enjoy these episodes as well. Until next time, this is Chawan, signing off. <laughs>